Scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 20. Uh, This week and next week, we'll just be looking at a few of these post-resurrection appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples and learning uh, how they might be a source of encouragement and strength uh, for our own faith journey. John chapter 20, we'll begin at verse 24. This is the story of Thomas also called Doubting Thomas, or Didymus. Hear God's word. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the lock, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to him. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, reading John is a little like watching a movie, uh, the director's cut of a movie. Every now and then he hits pause to direct our attention uh, to his main point. Verse 30 and 31 of our text is a good example of this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, John says, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is what John hopes for us, his readers, that we would believe as the disciples believed and so find a source of life in Jesus' name. This isn't the first time that John has hit the pause button to invite us to faith, to call us to believe. In chapter 1, we read this. He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then again in chapter 3, we read these famous words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Believe receive. This is where true hope and true life, eternal life, is found, says John. And my question to us, to you today, is this. Do you? Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Who who is Jesus to you? What is your relationship to this man? 
Now, before exploring this more deeply and and seeing how Thomas can help us with this, a few words about what John means by this word belief. Belief for John is about, about much more than sort of mental assent. To believe in Jesus is not simply to know about Jesus and think true thoughts about Jesus. Even the demons have that kind of belief. Belief is bigger. Belief is about trust, confidence, participation. I believe this stage is strong enough to hold me. I trust it. I trust it enough to not just think that it will hold me up, but I actually get up onto the stage and I can, you know, even stomp around a little bit and I trust I'm not going to fall through to the basement. Something like that is what John means by belief. John's conviction is that Jesus is entirely trustworthy and true. On every page, he presents us with another side of Jesus and says, Look, this man has come from God. Look, this man is the Messiah. If you drink the water that he offers, you will never be thirsty again. If you abide in him like branches abide in the vine, then you will be fully alive and will bear much fruit. If you entrust your life to him and take your stand upon him, you will see and find that he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. So belief is not just this mental assent, believing true things about Jesus. It's taking your stand upon him participating in him, in a way. John writes, so that we would build our life upon Jesus, and so find life as we do. But is he right? Is Jesus the best thing to happen to planet Earth? Is he worthy of our confidence? You know, sometimes it's totally reasonable to take someone at their word and to entrust your life to them. I trust my car mechanic, uh, for example, for instance, and if he tells me that my brakes are good, then I'm, I'm not even going to check his work. I don't even know how to check his work, right? I'm just going to get in my car, and without thinking, I'll drive 120 down the 400, knowing that my brakes are going to work when I tap them. I trust based on the word of the mechanic. But some truths are harder to accept based on the word of others. And in those situations, I just don't, I don't want to just hear and believe, but I want to touch. I want to see with my own eyes. If I'm ever able to afford a house, I won't buy it sight unseen. And I won't even trust the realtor's word for it. I want to see the foundation. I want to get down into the crawl space and touch the walls to ensure that they are indeed dry. Well, what about Jesus? What about this claim that he is risen from the dead and he is Lord? What needs to happen for you to feel confident enough to build your life upon him? Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Do we trust him? Will we give over our life and build it upon him? What do you need in order to feel confident? 
Some of us can take Jesus at his word and we have found him to be true, but others are more skeptical and need to go in for a closer look. Thomas is a good example of that. Thomas needs proof. He needs to touch. He needs to see. Even though all of his trusted friends are saying the same thing, we have seen the Lord, they say, Thomas is, is still skeptical, and he cannot accept the reality of resurrection. He says to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. While we might question Thomas's insistence on having hard evidence, especially when the eyewitness accounts are unified and plentiful, I'm certainly glad that his perspective is preserved in the story. He's simply insisting on what all of us want on some deep level. We want to know, did this really happen? We want to know if this is really true, this reality of resurrection, that it's in fact reality and not just a wish. If it didn't happen, then then the show's over and Jesus is way less spectacular than the church claims him to be. Thomas wants to know, and really, so do we. About Thomas, Frederick Bruner, a commentator, says this, Thomas's desire is every honest person's desire, and we are grateful that the evangelist, John, gave doubting Thomas his space, this space. Thomas is every generation's modern man, sincere inquirer, and honest seeker. The gospel is giving all such people in Thomas's person and through his present insistence some space, time, and respect. And not only does John honor doubting Thomas by giving him space, time, and respect, but so does Jesus. For he comes to Thomas personally and gives Thomas exactly what he needs. A week later, all the disciples are back together in uh, in a room. And this Sunday, Thomas is with them. He's gathered with the group. And then Jesus appears in their midst. Wherever two or three gather in my name, there I will be. There's a little bit of a uh, teaching here about actually just the gathering of believers. Thomas missed that first gathering, and he missed Jesus. He's here this time, and Jesus appears. And right away, Jesus goes to Thomas. doesn't waste any time. And he says to him, Put your fingers here, Thomas. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. It's almost as though Jesus has been listening to Thomas's doubts, for he essentially repeats to Thomas what Thomas said to the other disciples. You want to touch, Thomas? Here are my hands. You want to see? Look at me. Here I am. The personal nature of this exchange uh, is really beautiful to me. Jesus' love for his disciples is on display. If one needs a little extra attention, Jesus is there to pour into him. And yet, while Jesus shows love to Thomas in his doubt, he also calls him up and out and upwards in faith. Jesus says, stop doubting, Thomas. 
and believe. So Jesus meets Thomas in his skepticism, but he doesn't want Thomas to remain there. Now that he's tasted and seen, it's time for him to rise up and participate and build his life on Christ as the other disciples have. And this time Thomas is ready and he says, my Lord and my God. So Thomas's profession of faith here is an expression of joy, but it's also a personal statement of trust. Thomas doesn't just say, oh, look, it's true. He's alive. No, he says, my Lord and my God. He's placing himself under the leadership of Jesus Christ, taking his stand right there. My Lord and my God. It's actually one of my favorite moments um, in pastoral ministry after working with someone through a profession of faith class. To have them stand up in front of the church, maybe give a little bit of their story, and then hear them say, you know, I ask them the question, who is your Lord and Savior? And they respond by saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It's a here I stand moment. I am coming under the leadership of Jesus Christ. He is mine and I am his. Profession of faith must be personal. These words have been written. This story has been given to the church, John says, so that you may believe. I wonder, what do you need from Jesus in order to take your stand? What do you need from him in order to move from skepticism to participation? Maybe God has granted you the gift of faith and you can believe and have taken your stand even though you have not seen. Jesus says, Blessed are those who believe, even though they have not seen. But I especially want to engage the Thomases in the room this morning. Know today that your skepticism is not something that Jesus dismisses. And know today that no one here, not me or the elders or others, will ever push you away for having big questions about Jesus or God or the whole story. I preach, I teach with the hopes that you will believe and find life in Christ's name. But I know that faith cannot be forced, and I know that in the final analysis of things, it's not even me or anyone else here that can give it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I do encourage the Thomases in the room to not grow comfortable in your skepticism, but to actively continue the search for the truth, and also to look at your own life. Where and who do you look to for life? Where do you find this source of life that animates your living? What teacher or philosophy are you submitting to and participating in? Ask yourself, what fruit is being born in my life based on the people and the ideas that I'm engaging in? that I'm letting influence me. We all have a person or a teaching that we're, whether we know it or not, submitting ourselves to and coming under and letting shape our life because whether we're conscious of it or not, we have made a decision that this is the best place to find the life that I want. The Christian claim 
is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Christian claim is that in him there is life that springs up to eternal life. I'd love to say that Jesus will visit you in your skepticism like he did to Thomas, but I can't promise that. Though it is the case that Jesus tends to show up when his people are gathered, and not a few times people have come to faith because Christ himself has appeared to them in a special way. Such was the case for the Apostle Paul, for instance. But it doesn't work that way for everyone. One compelling re reason that keeps my faith alive these days is the unified witness of the disciples. And I think Thomas may should have uh, paid a little more attention to this. It's amazing to me that other than Judas, not a single disciple defected. In fact, many of them died because of their testimony concerning the resurrection. One would think that if they had made all this resurrection stuff up, that one or two of them would have cracked when the going got tough. But none of them did. And they had little to gain for sacrificing their lives for the sake of Christ. Following Jesus did not make them rich. It made them poor. Following Jesus did not give them security. It really made their lives very insecure. What compelled them? What but an encounter with the risen Christ? finding this source of life and this power at work in the world that they knew they had to share. I trust the testimony of the ten, and it helps me when doubts arise. The testimony of the ten helps me in my faith, but so do the lives of the saints, the people that have gone before me in the faith. People like Paul, Polycarp, Augustine, Aquinas, Bonhoeffer, the people I've met over my years of ministry who are filled with the Spirit and alive in a way that is hard to describe. They can endure suffering with joy. They can face death with hope. I want to be like them and have what they have. Their witness is a testimony to me that the way of Jesus is true and good and that in him there is life. And of course, I've also had personal experiences, too, of God's nearness and of Christ's great, gracious leadership in my life, uh, moments of inexplicable joy or deep consolation. Those help as well. The atheist Richard Dawkins mocks believers, Christians, because he thinks they believe in this blind sort of way. They believe, he thinks, even though they have no evidence at all for their belief. But truthfully, I don't know a single Christian who believes like that. Every believer that I know, when I ask for their story, they share one. Jesus might not have appeared before them like he did before Thomas, but he did reveal himself to them in a way that made sense to them. And their faith is not baseless. It's not blind trust. They have taken their stand because they actually have reasons to take their stand. And sometimes Jesus surprises people by meeting them where they are. Here's a funny story that I, I think is just filled with um, gospel humor. 
In 2010, a black metal band from Sweden decided that they wanted to study Catholicism. They did this because they were looking for ways to more effectively blaspheme the name of God in their songwriting. So they were, how can we give it to God even worse than we already do? We got to learn about him so that we can take his name in vain more effectively. But at the end of their journey, they all ended up converting to Christianity. Here's another story. Uh, the story of uh, Guy, Guillaume Bignon, a French name, Guillaume Bignon. I read about his journey in Christianity today a few years ago. Guillaume uh, grew up French Catholic, but he rejected the faith as soon as he was old enough to tell his parents that he didn't want to go to Mass. Instead of wasting his time with Jesus, Guillaume poured himself into volleyball and chasing women, and he was successful in both pursuits. In his mid-twenties, Guillaume took a vacation to the Caribbean with his brother, and there uh, they met some women from the States who happened to be Christians. Guillaume liked one of them and stayed in contact with her. And because he wanted to be her boyfriend, he decided that he had better investigate her beliefs. Pretty quickly, he realized that his unbelief rested on shaky foundations. He had never really thought about it before. He just looked around and said, well, the smart people I know aren't believers, so I won't be a believer too. But he had never investigated the claims of the gospel himself, and so he started to do that. And mostly as a joke, Guillaume prayed this prayer. He said, okay, God, I'm looking into this now. Why don't you go ahead and reveal yourself to me? I'm open. Two weeks later, Guillaume's shoulder started to hurt, so much so that he had to take a rest from volleyball and actually could never play again because of that injury. Having time to kill, he went to church. He said, I drove to an evangelical congregation in Paris, visiting it as I would a zoo, to see exotic animals I had read about in books but had never seen in real life. After the service, he made a break for the exit, but as he was leaving, he felt this insatiable desire to turn around and to figure this all out. So he went right up to the pastor, and he said, You believe in Jesus, right? Tell me why. And slowly and cautiously, Guillaume began to reach out to try to touch Jesus. His prayer life grew. The conversations with the pastors became more frequent. And one day, Guillaume woke up to discover that his conscience had been pricked. And for a full week, he just felt racked with guilt. And he wept over all that he had done. And it was into that sense of despair that the gospel clicked. Ah, this is why Jesus died. This is why he came. This is why he died. And so he got down on his knees and ask Jesus for forgiveness. And that is a prayer that Jesus just cannot resist answering. Today, Guillaume's confession is the same as Thomas's, my Lord and my God. These are written, says John, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in believing that you would find life in his name. Come and see, investigate, reach out your hands and touch. You may just be surprised to find Jesus reaching back. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we give thanks today for your attentiveness, specifically your attentiveness to Thomas. Thank you for loving him and giving him what he needed. And it's a good picture, Lord, too, that it's in it's who you are to come alongside of us and reach out to us in a way that, that we need. I pray for those who are here today that even if they've been on the road of following after you for years, that you would meet them today wherever they are and um, assure them in their faith. And I pray too, Lord, for those who are struggling, trying to figure out what they believe, why they believe, and what it all means. Give them clarity, Lord. Continue to draw them into deeper fellowship with you, closer and closer to faith and the life that you have for them. And we pray that not just for people here, but also watching at home and um, for our witness, Lord, in this time and place, that your spirit would be moving in Alliston and this whole area to bring about a curiosity in people for these deeper things. And may they find in you, Lord Jesus, a life which springs up to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.